good evening, Kairos. Um, I just wanted to come and give you guys a quick update because last time we were together, uh, John Thomas was here and we took up an offering for the water crisis in South Africa. Um, and it was pretty incredible. You guys crashed the text to give system, which is awesome. And maybe it needed to be crashed. Um, and so here's what you need to know behind closed doors. It was, okay, how much can we raise? Maybe $10,000 is approximately everybody giving 20 bucks. But even then I need to confess to you, I didn't have that much faith. So I went to the missions department. I said, if we raise five, will you match five for us so that we can at least get $10,000? And they said, sure. Well, last Tuesday night, after we counted up all the cash and checks that were given, it was over $15,000. Awesome. Then we went to the broken text to give in the kiosk and there was close to $15,000 given digitally. So that's about $30,000 was raised in this room last week. And then put the 5,000 on missions for top of that and we raised over $35,000 for Living Hope and Living Water in South Africa. Amazing. Blown away, my faith has been built, my confidence has been expanded and through the generosity of God's people. God's people saw God moving and a need and you gave and thank you so much. So let's continue to channel that generosity and that excitement as we praise and worship God, amen. Well, I'll say bless the Lord if you'll say, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Um, wow, I still haven't gotten over uh, that giving, the generosity, that was awesome. Um, and so the update that I gave you at the uh, beginning of our service was everything that was given on Tuesday. Something amazing happened after Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, and then Friday. Thank you, Adam. Apparently, word got out in the community and in this church about how much you guys gave and people got jealous and wanted to get in on it. And so we just kept getting phone calls, checks would show up, people would be asking, how do I give? Hey, how can I raise some money for this? And so to date, what I know so far is that out of this place has spawned $44,781.05. What? Bless the Lord. So I um, actually I want to keep that. That's a little bit of an Ebenezer. Um, so I emailed John Thomas this morning and he was blown away. I tried to read a South African accent into his email. I'm still not sure what half of what he said when we were talking, but uh, the half that I did understand was really good. And he said, I can't believe the generosity. And I asked him, I said, how far away are you from your goal? Because you said about 65,000 is what you were looking to be able to raise and go back and start the water distribution. And he said, we have $5,000 left to go based off of what you've given. So I don't think we're done giving yet. <laughs> I know some of you were here last week and now's your chance to give. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can go back and look at the video cast on the website and hear all about our long partner with Living Hope in South Africa. Had an opportunity to see their work up close and personal. And so I think uh, 
everything that we collect tonight will go towards that $5,000. And I firmly believe by the end of tonight, we will have the money to be able to help give Jesus a drink of water to the thirsty, needy people in South Africa. Does that sound good? Great. So you can give in those giving stations or in the kiosk over there. Don't even bother with text to give, okay? Uh, We're not on speaking terms right now. Awesome. Just a reminder, if you're a member of a local church, that's where your tithe belongs. This is a free will offering that's over and above because God is just that good. Amen? All right. So, um, welcome to Kairos. It's our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. That's my spiel. We want to engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, any place. One of the ways that we do that is we want to consistently come back to the theme of identity and purpose. That we have a God-given identity and we have a God-given purpose. And I think if I was to remind you of that, you would nod your head and go, yeah, I got it, Chris. Great. Can't wait to hear more about it. The other side of that is, do you know that there is someone out there who knows that you have a God-given identity and purpose and is actively seeking to subvert and sabotage it? Scripture tells us his name is Satan and his job is to ensure to try to seek, kill, and destroy God's good intention for humanity. So I just wanna make sure that we're aware that while God is authoring a story, there is an enemy who's trying to attack it and subvert it and push it off track. So I don't know if you know this or not, but we're in a season that's called Lent. It's 40 days building up to Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Stereotypically, the church um, mirrored that, that said that it was symbolic of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted. Lent is a time for reflection and repentance. And so given the fact that it is the season of Lent, I think we should spend the next couple weeks in the desert with Jesus. And so there's the text that he's been tempted that will camp out in Luke. Uh, Tonight, I'm gonna take a look at Mark chapter one, which is just a fast and furious overview of Jesus's baptism and then the spirit driving him out into the wilderness uh, to be tempted. Um, I hope you'll go along in this journey with me. Uh, This next series is not for everybody. Um, It'll be real teachy, and we're going to dig down in to some of our darkest desires and our secret sin, which is where I get giddy, Uh, and I know that's not everybody, okay? I am not afraid of sin or sinners. Uh, I just know that's when God's grace gets really, really good. When you can't believe it, you've just started to, to get a hold of it, so... Um, If you're not that type of person, stick around. You will be hopefully by the end of our time together. Um, We'll be in Mark chapter one and we'll read verses nine through 13. Let me pray for us as you guys are turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen? Mark 1, starting in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Or my favorite translation. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals 
and the angels attended him. I'll say the word of the Lord, if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So here we go. My first question for us listening to that text is, was Jesus being tempted by Satan or tested by God? And you guys, was he being tempted by Satan or tested by God? Well, the text says he was literally being tempted by Satan. What it also says is right after his baptism, the spirit drives him out into the desert. And it can get kind of confusing because in the Greek, it's the same Greek word. It just depends on who the subject of the sentence is. And here's where I'm wrestling through this. This is just something I find really, really fascinating. And it helps me um, as I face challenges, trials, testing, and temptation in my life. And I'm trying to make sense of all of it. Here's where I'm at in the process. And um, let me know what you guys think. I think Satan tempts us with the opportunity to sin. I think God tests us with the opportunity to obey. Is that fair? Could it possibly be the same circumstances and two different authors with two different objectives come to meet us and God is giving us an opportunity to obey and Satan's going, no way, get out. And I think one of the reasons we may have trouble with this, if you were academically challenged like I was, I don't like to hear the word test. I'm not a good tester, right? <laughs> I'm not good at anything, right? And it's pass or fail, or you better measure up to the standard, or a lot of times when we're facing hardships, we get this kind of, uh, let me think of a better word, not so good theology that says, well, if you just learn your lesson, then God will remove it, okay? He's just testing you, and you gotta learn your lesson so that bad things stop happening to you, right? But I think perhaps a better word in English um, when I was a kid, I grew up playing around the creek because my mom didn't want me in the house. And we would always love where the, okay, am I allowed to say creek? What do you guys say? River, creek, <laughs> sewage. <laughs> we would find the, the areas that the banks were closest and we would always go try to find boards so that we could walk across, Right. We'd throw it down, and then usually I was nominated to do what? Test it. Is it going to hold the weight? Or is it gonna crack? Is it trustworthy to get us where we want to go? And God wants to throw down his promises in your life, to cross the chasms of your doubt, your insecurities, and your despair, and as you step out on that, he wants to test to see if your character is going to stand on his promises and hold up underneath the pressure of waiting to see them fulfilled. And the first thing that's going to happen is Satan's going to go, get down, you're going to fall. You can't trust that. Do you know how long you're going to be up there? Buddy, you're going to fall eventually, so why don't you just go ahead and jump? But I believe that Satan tempts us to sin, but God tests us with the opportunity to obey. Does that help you? Does that help me when we start to view trials and temptations and testing in our life to start to go with James? Count it all joy 
when I face trials and testings of many kinds, knowing that the trying of my faith work as patience and patience, let it have its perfect work in me so that I can be complete and entire, lacking nothing, that I know a good God in the desert and I know a good God when we're dancing in the abundance of his provision. Either way, his character has not changed. And is it possible that God is always after our character? And going, how much weight can your life handle with the authority and the goodness and the purpose I want to release for you? I always say it this way. I want as much of the Holy Spirit as I can have that doesn't kill me. Give me God, I want all of you that I can handle, but please don't kill me. Don't, don't squash me with it. So keep building up my character so I can bear more weight, more responsibility, more joy, more intimacy, and more enthusiasm for your kingdom. The tough thing is usually that means my kingdom dies in the process, but that's part of the journey. Interesting note, before any of this happens, God confirms upon Jesus his identity. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, I took Wednesday off, had a spiritual retreat day, and that's the sentence I said over and over to myself for eight hours straight. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. To mentally discipline myself, to stop going, here's how I wanna prove that I'm worthy of love, Lord. Here's all the ministry ideas that I have, Lord. Ooh, we could do this. Nope, sit in the fact of your identity as my beloved son and stop doing and take one day to be. Isn't it interesting? Jesus has not done a miracle yet. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't cast out a demon. He hasn't taken up any offerings yet. He doesn't have any conversions yet. He doesn't have a congregation yet. And out of the mouth of his father is, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If it's possible for Jesus to have and to hear his father's identity before he's done anything technically to deserve it? Is it possible for us who are inside of Christ, who have been crucified with Christ, who when God sees us, he sees us through his son? Some of you in here tonight, you don't need to hear anything else other than I need to hear again. This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased not because of anything you have done, but because of what my son has done. I see value and worth and dignity in you. Now go because of that. Once you receive that identity, now let's dream together, let's dance together, let's go to dangerous places together and imagine how the heavens are gonna invade earth because you are a person who knows exactly who you are in Jesus Christ. But I do have this fair warning to you. For those of you who decide to spend some time reaffirming your identity in Christ, or you've heard from God, or you're starting to scratch a calling from God, be prepared. He's gonna send you straight to the desert. He wants to test you, and Satan wants to tempt you. The Spirit of God drives him into the desert and into the wilderness. Have you ever had this happen? God reveals something to you. You're like, this is awesome. Next day, wha-bam. What was that? God, I thought you said this. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes some of your deepest insecurities, the biggest fear, financial crisis. Oh, this relationship just blew up. My car just blew up. God, stop speaking to me, okay? Leave a brother alone. But what if it's in the desert that God teaches us 
how good of a provider he is and that your self-sufficiency starts to burn away and you hunger not just for man's approval but for God's approval and you get to a place where you say you know what if you're all I got it's enough so the spirit drives him out into the desert Satan wants to tempt him to sin. God wants to test him for an opportunity to obey. Just so we're clear, it happened to Jesus. It happened to Adam and Eve, and it will happen to me and you. But I don't know about you. I still have the lingering question. Why do I sin so much? Thanks, I'm reaffirming my identity in Christ. I'm aware that testing and temptation will come my way. Anybody else just going, what's the deal with the sin in my life? Even worse, when you start hearing things like, hey dude, why even fight it? You're gonna give in to it eventually, so why even bother? Go ahead and give in now. Let's just short circuit the process. That's straight adversary playbook, by the way. He loves that one. And even more embarrassing for me, I know you guys don't struggle with this because you're probably a better Christian than I am. God speaks identity. I get tested, I have an opportunity to obey. I'm awesome, look at me, I passed the test. Sweet, where's a little sin as a reward? I'd like that, right? Right after the strongest moments, you're, you're doing a backflip into a pool of depravity because why not? Because you deserve it. I know it's just me, but I'm the chief sinner here, so that's my responsibility. I want us to journey with Jesus into the desert. And I want us to be unafraid to stare sin and temptation in the face and say, I am God's beloved son and I'm ready to figure out why this trap consistently trips me up. And I want to experience the fullness of the spirit, the power of the spirit and the authority of the spirit. So just a warning as we embark on this journey, the biggest temptation everyone will face in here in facing temptation is to give up, is to quit. It's no longer worth the wait. It's no longer worth the struggle. I'll never be any different. This is all I am doomed to do. But as God's beloved children, I think we have the audacity to drill down a little bit deeper, don't we? So John Thomas was here last week, right? And he doesn't know this at all, but the spirit knows it, that we're actually doing a series after this that's gonna drill down into sin and temptation. And he's talking about how the well is clogged up, how the enemies used to sabotage the well. And he's saying, we've got to drill down and it may hurt. And all of a sudden the spirit is gonna to start to dig up things that we've packed down that we may not wanna look at, smell, taste, touch, or even acknowledge. But if living water is to flow through us, we have to drill down. And that's exactly what we're gonna do. Um, Napoleon Hill is an author who uh, relays the true story of a guy named R.U. Darby once a successful businessman, but he goes back and tells about one of his formative experiences. R.U. Darby had an uncle who, when he was living in Maryland, got caught up by the gold fever in the early 1900s. So Darby's uncle takes off out there, buys a claim and a stake and gets the proverbial ax and shovel and goes to work. A few short weeks, hits pay dirt, finds gold, pulls it out, confirms it, buries it back down, covers up the mine, and heads back to Maryland. Tells all his family, a few killers friends, 
hey, we've got an incredible find in gold out in Colorado. We need money and we need manpower. Who's with me? Gets a bunch of people, they raise a bunch of money, they buy all the equipment they need, they have it shipped out to Colorado, they arrive at the mine site and they start digging and they start going to work. And the first cart that comes out full of gold, they send off to the smelter and it comes back, possibly you have one of the richest strikes in Colorado history. They start doing the math, three or four more cartloads will pay for all of our expenses and then it's straight profits. Drills go down, hopes go up, and all of a sudden, the gold runs out. And they keep digging, and there's nothing. And they keep praying, and there's nothing. And ultimately, as the weeks go by, and they get impatient, and doubt and despair set in, they realize we can no longer afford to dig any deeper. They shut down the mine. They pack it up, they call in a junk man to sell all of their equipment for pennies on the dollars to try to finance their trip back home, lick their wounds and figure out what they're gonna do with the rest of their lives. After they leave, the junk man looks around, calls a mining engineer, pays him a couple dollars and says, will you do a survey on that mine that they just abandoned? He goes in and says, Yeah, the reason they ran out of gold is because they hit a fault line. Actually, three feet below where they stopped digging is one of the largest gold strikes in Colorado history. Junk man became a millionaire. Is it possible, men and women, that our entire lives, when it comes to dealing with the fault lines in our lives, where we have chosen the pleasure of sin over the enjoyment of God, we've stopped digging three feet shy of where God's glorious deposits of intimacy and purpose, of joy and satisfaction lie, of where a life lived fully and freely and finally in the power and the authority of the Spirit are if we will just dig down and let the Spirit dig up the very things that we have been trying to hide and avoid our entire lives. It's not gonna be us, is it? We're not gonna quit. Even when it gets painful, even when it gets embarrassing, even when it gets costly, we will dig down. And we're going to ask God, hey, will you remind me of my identity in this entire process? And then we're going to ask the Spirit to willingly drive us out into the desert, to fling us into the wildness of the wilderness where we can discover God's provision. We're going to be in a series called Fault Lines and we're gonna take our time to drill down and see the temptations that Jesus walked through and the temptations that you and I walk through every day. We'll discover our favorite sins, our favorite lie, and the things that we are prone to. Here's how the hymn writer used to say it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, amen? Let's take 120 seconds and just think about what had your name on it. This is our listening exercise. Maybe if you need some help with that, I would ask you right now for the Father to remind you of your identity. Say, Father, would you remind me who I am because of Jesus? of my value and my worth and my dignity. By the way, some of you are gonna try to do that and immediately Satan's gonna start screaming lies in your head. 
Just dismiss those. Ask him to remind you who you are. Then I'd ask you this. Is there a particular temptation or sin that's recently cropped up in your life? Does it help you to see this not as an opportunity to sin, but an opportunity to obey? Could you possibly see this as God faithfully and relentlessly wanting to build your character and confidence in the power of the spirit that lives and reigns within you? Or has God something, spoken something to you recently that's been challenged and tested and you're tempted to walk away from it because it's too difficult or too costly or you don't think you're worthy enough? Once again, would you ask the Father to remind you of your identity and then encourage you in your purpose?